deadly fire. Greetings, guys and gals. Welcome to the deadly fire. The right place to come for a good scare. I am your host, the Roast Master. Tonight's tale involves a lonely man who can't seem to get his life under control. That is until things go a little stir-crazy. I call this tale, Cabin Fever. I was broke, hungry, and jobless. I had spent four years in the University of Louisville, working hard for a degree in psychology, only to graduate with a useless slip of paper and a little more knowledge than what I went in. However, things were not always this bad. Psychology. I couldn't for the life of me find a job that required such a degree. Not even the local nuthouse would take me. So I worked at a convenience store so I could pay the bills. It was working out pretty nicely for the first six months, sitting in front of a cash register reading Time magazine while every so often a customer would walk in and buy a coke or a pack of cigarettes. And occasionally you see that one person who would come in and buy all the groceries they needed for the week. It was a pretty nice gig, but my hours started to get cut. I worked for a shift, which means I worked from 8 o'clock to 5 o'clock. My boss changed it from 8 to 2 because business was going down south and he needed to pay the building's mortgage. Since my hours got cut, I didn't have that much income so it became harder to support myself. All my utility bills and rent would eat my entire paycheck so when it came to food, I was forced to settle for fast food joints or buying cheap frozen meals from the grocery store. I then decided I needed another job. So, I applied for a job at Burger King. The income was just enough so I could eat better and have a small amount of money to spend on myself. Three months later, I was informed by my boss that the store was going out of business. I hated that I was going to lose my job, but in a way, I saw it coming. The store had been losing a lot of business and my hours were being cut so he could save money. After the store bit the dust, I knew I couldn't fully support myself on my Burger King check. Again, bills were taking my entire paycheck. I only had enough to pay the utility bills and the rent. I couldn't afford to buy groceries and I was tired of eating frozen foods. It's a common myth that if you work at a fast food restaurant, or any restaurant for that matter, you'll get free food because you work there. At Burger King, you get an employee discount, and in my case, this was affordable, so every morning I would get to work early so that I could eat breakfast before I start my shift. And after work, I would take home something from the menu, and that would be my dinner. So after eating everything on the breakfast and lunch menu twice, I decided to go job hunting again. I was unsuccessful at getting every job I applied for. I tried every fast food joint, every sit-down restaurant, and I even applied for a front desk position at a hotel. No place would hire me. I was stuck with a useless degree, an awful dead-end job, and barely enough money to support myself. I was poor and stupid. Poor because of my situation, and stupid for going to school for such a useless degree. I decided just to accept that this was the way things were, and that I was never going to go anywhere with my life. Things stayed the same for another three months. One day, I was taking home dinner and getting to work early to eat breakfast, all with my employee discount. 
One day, I was working at the cash register as usual, when this older man who looked like he was in his late 70s approached the register. He ordered a chicken sandwich and asked for a job application. I put in the order and then reached under the counter and gave him the application to fill out. I found this strange since we weren't shorthanded so no new employees were needed. Three days later, I received a phone call from my boss on a Saturday telling me to come into work. There was another thing I found strange. I've never worked on the weekends. First we get another person asking for a job, then I get told to come into work on a Saturday. When I came to work, I was greeted with solemn looks from my coworkers. It was as if they were watching me go to my execution. When I went into my boss's office, I was told I was being laid off. When I asked her why, she said that her next door neighbor needed a job because he couldn't afford to retire. So she felt the right thing to do was to give her my job. I told her this was the only job I had and that if I got fired, I could lose everything. This led to us getting into an argument. She kept telling me how I was being selfish for not wanting to make a sacrifice for a poor old man who couldn't retire comfortably. And she also said something about him being a war veteran. I tried my absolute best to convince her to let me keep my job, but it was no use. I was only met with insults and lectures about how she was being noble about doing this. I stormed out of her office and left my old job in tears. I was so angry. I knew charity was one thing, but now I had no source of income and a little bit of money to support myself. I spent every day looking for a new job, but I had no luck. I was only able to pay the rent for one month until I realized that I needed the rest of my money to keep the utilities working. That was the key issue here. Money was always something that I never seemed to have enough of. I spent another three months trying to find a new job until I received a letter from my landlord saying that I owed three months of rent and I needed to come up with $1,500 in the next two weeks. Or else, he would begin the process of evicting me. I've never felt so helpless in my life. I owe my landlord $1,500 and I only had $100 to my name. Everything in my life was getting worse and worse as time went by. I was going to lose my apartment. The only thing left to do was to call my parents and tell them that I needed to move back in with them. This was going to be embarrassing. I kept saying that I would have a great career and I would be able to get married and start a family. Instead, I was a broke man who was about to lose his home. I reached for the phone and dialed my parents' number. And as I heard the other line ring, I caught a glimpse of the newspaper ad on the coffee table and what would be a life-saving opportunity. It read, House sitter needed for two weeks. Sitter will be paid $100 per day. Call if you're interested. $100 per day. I said to myself, that'll be just enough money to pay my landlord back for the rent I owe him. And this will give me a, just a little bit more time to find a job. I checked the date on the newspaper. December 1st, 1989. The paper was only a day old. I knew that this was my last hope. I could not go back to living under my parents' roof again. I dialed the number to listen on the ad, and what sounded like an old man answered the phone. Hello? Um, who is this? He answered. 
This man acted like he hadn't received a call in 20 years or so. I just brushed it off as an old person thing and politely introduced myself. Hi, I'm James House. I'm calling about the house sitting job that was offered in the paper. Oh yes, I see that you're interested in the job. Come to my house tomorrow at 1 o'clock, alright? My address is 224 Walnut Grove Road. Do not be one minute late. I've never heard of any street called Walnut Grove here in Louisville. But that's when I realized he lived in Hopkinsville. That was a three hour drive from where I live, but it was my last hope at keeping my apartment. Or it was back to mommy and daddy. I shudder at such thought once again. <sighs> Being back under the roof and rules. I packed enough clothes to last me two weeks. And I make sure I pack my toiletries as well because I didn't want to get all the way down there and discover I've forgotten some like my toothbrush or deodorant. Last but certainly not least, I packed my Nintendo. Just so I can have at least something to do while I was there. God, the drive there was so long and boring. After I reached a certain point, all of the radio stations that played good music died out, and I was forced to listen to hillbilly music, and redneck preachers trying to help everyone find Jesus. After two hours of silence, I finally reached Hopkinsville. I remember where the address was. 224 Walnut Grove Road. I drove down a road that contained nothing but big fields and the occasional house and a street sign. I then saw a street sign that said, Walnut Grove Road. It was a house that was pretty easy to find. Being that there were only 10 houses and each were two miles apart from each other. When I found the house, I saw that it was a two-story white plantation house that stood dead center in an incredible amount of land. I scanned my eyes across the field and saw no barns or animals. It was just a plain field with nothing in it except for the house. I walked over to the house and saw that it didn't have a doorbell. This was strange because every house I'd ever been to had a doorbell. He came to the door not long after I knocked and he was a short, wrinkly old man who was wearing a red sweater and a pair of jeans. Ah, uh, you must be James House, he said. In the flesh, I remarked. Come on in, James, he politely invited. I walked into his home, and I was met with a living room that was so big, everything seemed small. In the center of the room was a black couch that looked to be brand new, judging from its cleanliness and dark fabric that could be easily seen. My heart sank when I saw the old style television that sat comfortably in front of the couch. It was an old television. You know, the ones that had rabbit ears and could be hooked up to cable. Behind the couch was a small bookshelf that was pressed against the wall and was filled with different books. That's when I noticed that there were bookshelves all over the room. There was one on the far right side of the room next to the tall black lamp that towered over most of the contents of the room. There was one by the television and even by the door. This man clearly loved to read. This was a major difference between me and him because I was never a book person. Throughout my entire school career, I remember doing book reports on the most boring pieces of literature ever written. For my 10th grade final, I had to read The Old Man in the Sea and write a 2000 word paper on the book. We were given two weeks to do the assignment and this was worth a large percentage of our grade at the time. Two weeks, which meant one week to read the book and one week to write the paper. I tried to read a book, but I was so bored with it by the time I reached the middle of the book that I just quit reading it. 
I didn't do the papers, so on the day that it was due, I stole it out of my friend Jared's backpack and erased his name and wrote mine on it. I received an A-plus for my stolen paper, but my friend ended up feeling the 10th grade for my actions. I felt bad for what I had done, but I was so scared of getting grounded for the whole summer for failing the 10th grade. The fact that my friends suffered from my actions is a burden on my shoulder to this day. I followed the man into a small kitchen. There was a counter at the very center of the room. I noticed a coffee mug on the counter. I looked at the old man and saw him pouring himself some coffee. He then turned around and poured some in the mug on the counter. I thought it was weird that he just guessed that I wanted coffee or I even liked it, but in his defense, he was correct. I thanked him for the drink and took a sip. I'm going to Chicago to spend some time with my son for his birthday. What exactly is his birthday? I asked. In two days. I'm glad I got to spend some time with him because I haven't seen him since Easter. Why Easter? Because he brought his son down here for my church's annual Easter God. Interesting. Oh, uh, I didn't catch your name. Philip. Philip Hewlett. Nice to meet you, Mr. Hewlett. Please, call me Phil. I was never one for formalities. An old person didn't like to be called Mr. and Mrs. Huh. Man, that's rare. Every elderly person I ever encountered was a very stuck-up individual. I liked this man already, but I knew he would be leaving soon, so I didn't spend that much time with him. So tell me, why did you put an ad in the newspaper that was so far away from you? I just asked out of curiosity. Everyone in town is getting ready for Christmas, and doesn't really have much time for house-sitting. So I thought if I ventured out, I could possibly find somebody who was interested in the job quicker. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I went out and stocked up on food for the next two weeks. He said this as he opened the fridge. The entire fridge was filled with different types of food. And there was so much food, I was surprised it could even shut. There were also plenty of snacks in the pantry behind you. I spent about $700 on groceries for you. Thanks, but why? Wow, I feel bad you spent that much. It's because of the blizzard coming in. They're expecting to have 6 to 12 inches of snow by tomorrow morning. Don't you watch the news? <sighs> My life is already in the toilet as it is. I don't really think I should torture myself by watching news reports about people getting shot and killed all over the world. Philip frowned. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't expect you to feel sorry for me. I'm just glad I have this job so I can pay off the three months rent that I owe before I get evicted. Well, I have to get on the road pretty soon, or else I'll never make it to Chicago. Alright, see you in two weeks. I let him out the door and watched him go to his car. As he was about to drive away, I realized he didn't leave me a key to the house in case I had to leave. However, by the time that crossed my mind, he was already on the road and was about to drive off. Oh well. I guess I won't be leaving during my stay here. I walked back to the house and sat down on the couch. The ancient relic of a television stared blankly back at me like an annoying child that was forced to watch. I was sure that Philip didn't have cable. I don't know why this man refused to adapt to the current time, but I suppose beggars can't be choosers. So I just decided to go with what I had. I got off the couch and turned on the TV, and it surprisingly worked just fine. The picture was in clear color and the sound was good, but it was a bit muffled due to the aged speakers. 
The Stephen King movie Carrie was on, and I caught it during the middle of the pig blood scene. I've already seen the movie before, but I didn't have anything else to do, so I just watched it. Afterwards, I went outside and grabbed my bags of clothes out of my cart, as well as my Nintendo. I could tell it was already getting colder outside, and it was getting darker. It looked like it was more likely to rain than snow, but I didn't want to stay outside to find out. I quickly went inside and put my bags in the living room for the time being. After hooking up my Nintendo to the TV, I popped in Super Mario Brothers to pass the time. After I played the game all the way through, I decided I had enough gaming for one day. I started walking through the house to look for a bedroom to sleep in. The first thing I did was go upstairs because I always enjoyed being on the highest floor whenever I had the option to. I found a nice bedroom with a king-size bed and a room that was filled with different Picasso paintings. I didn't bother seeing if any of them were authentic because the last thing I needed was for this guy to be tracking me down for theft. I put my bags down and laid down on the bed. It was quite comfortable. It was way better than my twin bed that I slept in at home. This bed was probably worth more than a year's pay for me on my Burger King check. The bed was so soft and warm, it was like lying on a cloud. I think Mr. Hewlett had back problems because of his age, so he must have ordered a mattress from somewhere. I grew very accustomed to the bed at such a short period of time that I decided to go take a nap. I woke up to the sound of wind whistling. I looked outside and saw buckets of snow being dumped from the sky. I looked on the nightstand and saw an alarm clock and the time read 9.30pm. I thought about getting up and taking a good look at the snow. But I was too tired to get up, so I went back to sleep. I woke up to a bright light shining through the window. When I looked outside, I saw the ground was completely covered in a blanket of snow. I got up and quickly put my coat and shoes on and ran outside. I was met with a white desert that stood as far as the eye could see. The clouds in the sky were a perfect shade of gray that was perfectly aligned with the snow that stuck to the ground. I stepped off to the porch, and to my left, I saw some strange-looking footprints. They were small and thin, and I could see what looked like claw marks at the end of them. I started to follow them, and they led to the side of the house where Mr. Hewlett's garbage cans were. I just brushed it off as some stray dog was looking for food or something. I decided to get back inside. It was extremely cold, and the last thing I needed was to get sick. After walking in, I threw my coat on the couch and began rummaging through Mr. Hewlett's pantry. To my luck, he had a box of hot chocolate packets. I made myself some hot chocolate and turned on the TV. I decided to watch the Weather Channel as I was curious about how cold it would be throughout the week. It was 5 degrees outside and the wind chill was negative 3. And it was only going to get a higher 10 degrees. Tomorrow was going to get even colder than that. And for the rest of the week, it would be much colder. I was stuck in the house for the next two weeks with hardly anything to do. I then turned off the TV and started roaming through Mr. Hewlett's house. I was so bored that just something had to be more interesting than the weather channel. I searched around the second floor of the house. There was nothing but more bedrooms that looked the same. Just a queen-sized bed with a closet and a nightstand. There wasn't a single TV in the entire house other than the living room. This house started to make me feel like I was living in the year 1789 instead of 1989. 
I went back to Mr. Hill's room where I slept and began going through his drawers. There was nothing but perfectly folded shirts and pants. I checked the closet and I found even more clothes. I looked at the bottom of the closet and I found three rows of different pairs of shoes. Everything seemed neat in each room. Beds were perfectly made and nothing seemed out of place. He just seemed like a boring man with OCD. I closed the closet door and walked back downstairs to turn on my Nintendo, but out of the corner of my eye, I saw a door that stood right next to the staircase. At first glance, anybody would just brush it off as a closet. But a bored, curious soul such as myself was not about to commit such an action. I walked over to the door and opened it without hesitation. I found a small, dark, narrow hallway. I looked to my right and flicked on the light switch. After lighting my way, I closed the door and walked down the hall and opened the next door. I was met with an enormous library that housed thousands of different books. Jesus Christ. I'd never seen this many books in somebody's house before. It was like I just walked into the public library. Shelves of books covered the walls and a row of four bookshelves made their way across the room. Two wooden chairs sat next to the couch that was perfect for lying on to read. I then decided to go ahead and browse through the large selection in hopes to find something remotely entertaining. I found a book called Gulliver's Travels. It looked interesting, so I decided to read a few pages. As I buried my head into the book, I began to have a flashback. It was a memory of when I was a different man than the lonely soul struggling to get by. It was back when I was a sophomore in college. When I would come home from school, I would find my girlfriend lying on the couch reading a book, waiting for me to come home. I would walk right through the front door and she would jump up and throw her arms around me and give me a tender kiss on the cheek. My college years were the best years of my life. Things were a lot more simpler and pleasant. I had friends and I had Kelly. She was my entire world. Brushing the memory away, I could just continue reading. After a few hours of reading, I got bored with the newly discovered library and went back to the living room to play my video games. This time, I played Donkey Kong. I always loved to play this when I would go to the arcades when I was a kid. I would spend all my allowance on quarters at the arcade and one of the games I would spend the most time on was Donkey Kong. I always enjoyed the way the levels were designed and the fact that a short Italian plumber would climb on buildings just to save his girlfriend from an insane gorilla. It was just priceless. My video game playing was cut short when the power went out all of a sudden. The whole house was almost pitch black. The first thing that came to mind was the snow. So I looked outside and saw that it began snowing again. An avalanche of snow was being thrown from the sky as I watched in pure shock. God, the weather was going to be worse than I thought it would be. I had no idea that it would snow a second time. I sat on the couch feeling defeated. My life was going downhill and even the job I got was turning to shit. I never would have guessed I would lose electricity while house sitting. I lay on the couch and began staring at the ceiling. When I fell asleep, I began dreaming about the time when I went to my first college party. It was the spring of 1985 and my roommate at the time was invited to a party by one of his classmates in his computer science class. 
He told me that his classmate had a grandfather who had a farm in Hopkinsville. His grandfather was going to Baton Rouge for the weekend and he was given the task of tending it while he was away. So he just cleaned up one of the barns so that he can have a night of loud music, beer, and babes as my roommate put it. I wasn't very enthused by beer at the time. I was only 19 and just out of high school and I never had a single drop of alcohol. The address was 222 Walnut Grove Road. Two addresses down from the house I was house-sitting. When my roommate and I arrived, we walked into the barn and we were introduced to loud music and people dancing like crazy and some were even holding drinks in their hands while dancing. Oh, wow. Hell yeah, dude. Come on, let's dance. We joined the dance floor and danced like there was no tomorrow to just some random hard rock songs. I've never felt so alive before. I just danced. I didn't have to learn any specific moves and nobody laughed at me. It was as if the world was just alright with me. After the rock music ended, so did my fun because that's when everyone began pairing up to slow dance. After looking around a little bit, I found my roommate having a beer with two girls next to a cooler. One was a blonde and the other was a brunette. They were both extremely attractive and miles out of my league. I didn't even entertain the thought of one liking me. I came up to my roommate and asked for a beer. Hey, I saw you dancing the night away over there. <laughs> Weren't we all? Yeah, but after you told me you had two left feet at your senior prom, I thought that just stuck with you. <laughs> nah, we all change. Well, James, I'd like you to meet my girlfriend Ashley. He said as he put his arm around the brunette. And I'm Kelly, the blonde one introduced. Yeah, that thing right there is Kelly. She rolled her eyes as she flipped off my roommate. Piss off, Carl. You know, that's an idea. He said it and then scrambled out of the barn. I better keep an eye on him. He's had a little bit too much to drink tonight. Was he always this obnoxious? Yeah, he's been like that since the day I met him, actually. I don't know what she sees in that guy. Hey, don't let him ruin your night. How about we dance? Maybe that will take your mind off of him. I took her hand and we made our way to the dance floor and began slow dancing. Kelly was a beautiful blonde woman who had eyes that were as blue as the ocean and a bright golden face that could light up this whole redneck town I was in. I started smiling at her as I kept a hold of her. I'm having a really great time. Me too. I need to tell you something now. Okay? Kelly leans forward and whispers, You killed me. What was that? You killed me. Uh... I don't know what you're talking about. I say this as I back away from her, bumping into the person behind me. I turn around and see a guy turn his head all the way around and say, You killed her, James. The music stops and everyone turns to face me. You killed Kelly. You killed Kelly. They chant. I back away from the crowd as they proceed to the chant. Kelly starts walking towards me, and I can see that her skin is beginning to melt off. I turn to run out of the barn, but the door slams shut. I turn around and see Kelly coming towards me as her flesh begins to drip off of her like it's water. 
I could see remnants of her liquefied flesh on the ground as she made her way towards me. It was as if I was watching a chocolate Easter egg bunny melt out in the hot sun. Kelly confronted me and put her melting hands around my throat. You killed me, James. She cooed. I stared into her eyes as they began to roll out of their sockets. The barn began catching fire as she squeezed harder into my throat and proceeded to jerk my neck back and forth. You killed me, James. I know. You're gonna pay for it. The last thing I saw was her opening her mouth and revealing the melting insides of her mouth as I woke from the vicious nightmare. As my heart raced, I could feel the chilling air source through the house as my teeth started to chatter. I had to do something fast or else I was going to freeze to death in this house. I had to find Mr. Hewlett's generator and I knew it could only be found in one of two places, the basement or on the side of the house. I put my coat and shoes on and began searching the first floor for the basement. No luck. I checked the kitchen and I checked the living room and Mr. Hewlett didn't have a basement. I began walking towards the front door and when I walked past the front window, I saw something in the distance. It was a silhouette of a person. They were just standing out there in the freezing weather as snow was coming down. I just brushed it off and went outside. It was dangerously cold outside. I felt the freezing air hit me as soon as I walked out. I plowed through the snow as the wind chewed away at my face. I knew it was colder than 5 degrees outside. It had to be in the low negatives because I had never experienced weather this cold before. I was relieved when I found the generator on the back of the house near the back door. I pulled the lever down and to my luck, the power came on. I tried to go through the back door but unfortunately it was locked. I turned around to sprint back to the front door. I saw the same silhouette from the front of the house but I could see that it was slightly closer. Is this person following me? I thought to myself. I had a sinking feeling inside of me as the sudden realization that someone was watching me. I then sprinted back to the front of the house and ran inside and slammed the door and I locked it. I started searching every inch of the house to make sure nobody got in while I was turning the power back on. I checked every closet, every room, every nook and cranny of this old plantation home. I was certain that I was the only one here. I then went into the library and grabbed Gulliver's travels and took off upstairs to one of the bedrooms and locked myself inside. I sat on the bed reading so that I could distract myself from my fear. As time went by, the more pressure I felt, the more I felt I had to suppress. I felt like I was being watched by an animal that's waiting for the right time to strike its prey. I put the book down and lay down on the bed and decided it would be the best idea that I stay up with the phone in case something were to happen. I looked out of the window and the person was still standing out there. Just standing in the same spot I saw it when I was out there. I searched the room for any phone outlets. No luck. I had no choice but to go back downstairs for the only phone outlet was located. I grabbed a pillow and a blanket and went downstairs to prepare to sleep on the couch for the night. When I lie down on the couch and cocoon myself within the blanket, I looked at the old rabbit ear television. 
It's gray screen vexed me as it reminded me that I had to use my hands to turn it on. I was just too comfortable where I was lying to remove myself from the warmth of the blanket. So I turned away from it and proceeded to fall asleep. I woke up almost as quickly as I lost consciousness. The house was almost completely dark other than the thin white light that simmered through the front windows. It was almost like it was still nighttime. I looked outside and saw a thick fog that overwhelmed everything to the point where everything was invisible. I breathed a sigh of relief knowing that whatever was out there last night couldn't possibly be out there in these conditions. I turned on the TV to the weather channel and went to the kitchen and started to make myself some breakfast. I made myself something basic. Pancakes and eggs, nothing special. After about 20 minutes of cooking, it was finally done and ready to eat. I ate breakfast and watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It was the only thing remotely entertaining on. After I ate, I lay back on the couch as the TV played. As I began to succumb to my food coma, I heard talking. I grew wide-eyed, but I didn't jolt up to see what it was. I just lay there and listened to what they were saying. I noticed that one of them sounded like me. The other voices sounded like my parents. I rose up to look at them. They were my parents. And they were talking to me except I was younger. I was watching myself argue with my parents about my life choices. My parents wanted me to go to college instead of doing what I wanted to do, which was to become a plumber. I wanted to find something that would make me a lot of money without spending countless hours in a classroom for four to eight years. My parents, on the other hand, wanted me to be professional. They wanted me to go to school and end up getting a job where I wore a suit and tie to work. My brother Chester was an accountant. He came home every day with a fat check and went to work looking professional. He was exactly what my parents wanted. Eventually it came down to this. I would either go to school or I was on the street because they weren't going to support a failure. I said that if I was going to school, I wanted to be in the dorm because I didn't want to be around these kind of people. When time came to moving to the dorms, I had some friends of mine move my things into the dorms so that my parents wouldn't be around me. When school started, I chose psychology to major in because I felt that would be professional enough for them. So I decided I would become a psychologist. As the memory faded, I realized that I was hallucinating. Mr. Hula must have drove the food he bought me. I got up and started walking upstairs. I took one last look at my parents and me, and they just stopped arguing and began staring blankly at me. I continued upstairs and went to one of the bedrooms and threw myself on the bed. Why was this happening to me? The memories. The things stalking me and now hallucinations. Something is horribly wrong here. You're what's wrong, James, a voice said. I looked to my right and saw my old roommate, Carl. He was lounging in a wooden chair as if he lives here. What the hell? I said as I tried to get up. Sit down. It's people like you in this way. People who run away from their problems like you. If you just stood up to your parents and told them how you felt, you wouldn't be in this mess. Maybe you still have a job right now. 
Maybe Kelly would still be alive. I wasn't raised on a farm, but I know bullshit when I smell it, my dad said as he walked in the room. We were forcing him to live the way we saw fit, my mother added, walking in behind my father. It's true, another voice said. My brother stood with his back against the wall with his arms crossed. They wanted what they saw as successful, so they pressured and pressured us until we gave in. Even to the point of threatening to throw us out in the street. <sighs> That's too bad. You could have addressed James and how you just threw your ground. I mean, come on, do you really think your parents would have let you live in a refrigerator box? They were right. If I had just stood up to my parents and tried a little harder, things would be different. A lot different instead of this awful situation. That's the joy of hindsight. I knew that voice. That soft, comforting voice that I grew to know and love. It only came from one person. And that was Kelly. My first love. She stood at the foot of the bed with her golden blonde hair and shiny emerald eyes. My heart plummeted into my stomach. It, it can't be. I said. We never see what we should do until it's too late, she said. <sighs> Kelly, I, I'm sorry. Suddenly, everything went white. I woke up in the back seat of a car. I was met with myself as the driver, and Kelly was in the passenger side. We were both in an extremely bad argument. We were arguing about the fact that I wasn't spending that much time with her. I was spending too much time with my friends and on schoolwork and rarely any with her. I kept apologizing about it and promising I would make up for it. But I never did. She kept complaining and complaining to me about it. And I did nothing to humor her request. That car ride was infuriating. The more she griped at me, the angrier I grew. Finally, I just snapped. It said the words that I would regret for the rest of my life. It would be the last thing I say to my girlfriend. My love. My happiness. Why don't you just get the hell out of my life? Because I don't want to spend my life with some whining animal that's in my ear every day of my life. Suddenly... I heard a horn of a semi blitter at us. I only had time to turn around and see a giant red truck crash into the side of the car. I woke up in the hospital and was told by a doctor that I was T-boned by a semi. That if it weren't for a good Samaritan, I would be dead right now. When I asked where Kelly was, he said that there was only enough time to save me before the gas tank exploded. Killing both the truck driver and Kelly. My whole world ended at that moment. The love of my life was dead. And the last thing I said to her was that I wanted her out of my life. I failed to spend any time with her. I treated her so badly that she should have just... She should have just left me. But she didn't. She was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I just took her for granted. And at the blink of an eye, 
She was gone. When I was back to Mr. Hewlett's house, I took a deep breath and walked back downstairs and sat on the couch and took some time to think. I never forgiven myself for what I had said to Kelly right before the accident. I wish that I stood my ground with my parents, but I didn't. I knew now that I had to accept the mistakes. I had to move on with my life. I was startled by the phone ringing. Hello? James, I'm coming back later tonight. My son and his wife got into an argument and they have to sort things out. So my wife and I will be home in a few hours. Oh, Mr. Hewlett, the roads are so bad. Also, I think I saw somebody out in the distance. The snow truck probably came and glittered roads. And what you probably saw was a snow devil. Uh, a snow what? A snow devil. There are many snow tornadoes, and sometimes when they're far away, they look like people. When me and my wife moved there in the winter of 1939, I saw a snow devil in the distance, and you wouldn't believe how scared I was. I said feeling stupid about being scared of a stupid snow tornado. Yeah. How about you go home, and I'll mail you a check for $1,500. My face lit up with glee. Uh, alright. I mused. Thought I'd help you out since you seem down on your luck these days. <sighs> Thank you very much, Mr. Hewlett. You're welcome. I have to go. Have a safe trip home. I hung up the phone and ran upstairs and packed my things. I then disconnected my Nintendo and then put everything in my car. I then wrote down my address and put it on the fridge. I drove home with a smile on my face. I was going to keep my home, and I had to come to terms and I was able to forgive myself for the past. I actually felt completed for once in my life. Today I have a job at UPS and I get paid well enough to pay my bills. I've been engaged for the past 9 months now and I'm getting married this winter. <sighs> life is good for once. <sighs>